my attitude toward adoption was revealing some assumptions that had everything to do with how I was viewing the gospel. What I wasn't seeing was that I still had this sense of flesh as being real and adoption as being good, but not quite real, which is of course exactly the issue that's going on uh, in the early church. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Russell Moore. Dr. Moore serves as president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, the moral and public policy agency of the nation's largest Protestant denomination. He's also the author of a number of books, including Adopted for Life, The Priority of Adoption for Christian Families and Churches with Crossway. In our conversation today, Dr. Moore and I discuss his own family's story of adoption, common misconceptions about adoption, and why adoption matters for all Christians, even for those who never adopt. Stick around till the end of the show to learn how to win a copy of Dr. Moore's book. Let's get started. Dr. Moore, thank you so much for joining us today on the Crossway Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be with you. So how did you and your wife first start considering adoption as a possible option for your family uh, years ago? Well, we did not know anybody, uh, I think, that had actually adopted. So we we really didn't have anything to to go off of. We had been through um, a long period of time of infertility and uh, miscarriages. We'd been through, at that point, three uh, miscarriages. And doctors had told us, I just don't think you're ever going to be able to carry a child uh, to term. So um, I I was very reluctant to adopt. My wife said, maybe the Lord's directing us toward adoption. And I wasn't ready to do that because to me, it felt like giving up. And so what I said was, I'm happy to adopt later. But I want us to have, to use my words at the time, I want us to have our own children first. Because uh, at the time, I was seeing uh, biologically conceived and delivered children as being the real thing. And then, uh, and then those who are adopted as, as something extra uh, on top of that. Uh, that, was, that was the way I was seeing it. So I was very reluctant uh, to do that. And it wasn't until Lord, uh, Lord just sort of changed my heart rather dramatically. I, I remember uh, right where I was when I realized that I was sort of uh, imagining what it would be like uh, to bring uh, our, our child home, that I realized something's changed in my, in my life. So that that was, um, and then we started this process that we didn't know what we were doing. And again, we didn't have anybody uh, that we could uh, that we could talk to, which would have been really helpful because we could have had people who would have told us what not to panic about. We, mm. we we panicked many times in the process of just saying this is this whole thing is falling apart, and you know people who had been through it before could have could have guided us through it, but we didn't have anybody like that. Yeah, you said you you mentioned that you had moments of panic. Um, did any of those moments of, of fear or uncertainty about the future 
ever lead you in the process once you had started to kind of doubt the decision to pursue adoption? Oh yes, many, many, many times. Uh, we 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 had um, one of the uh, one of the agencies that did our home study shut down uh, suddenly and uh, say that they wouldn't be able to get us our paperwork in time. And so, uh, and we were right up against a big deadline and, and we panicked. And then uh, when we were in Russia, we ended up in, in Russia adopting our, our sons. And when we were there, several things happened that looked like they were derailing the whole process right up to a, a health test done on, uh, on one of my sons that came back uh, with a negative, with a bad uh, result uh, that that uh, that the orphanage personnel were suggesting would end the adoption process. Um, and so we had to pray through that and work through that. So there's so many of those things uh, that happened at any given time that we just, we were, we were in this very nervous sort of hypervigilant kind of state, just waiting for any bad thing to, to happen. Hmm. The point that uh, a a Russian um, uh, person who was sort of helping us with translation and so forth uh, walked in uh, near the end of the process and said, "We have a big problem," and we both just immediately kind of our our hearts sank uh, before we realized that problem. He, he was using problem the way you would say a math problem, a, a project to do. We've got some, we've got some work we've got to get done. He just meant some filling out some paperwork, but we were, we were so uh, expecting bad news that, that we just were kind of tensed up. Hmm. Hmm. I want to go back to you mentioning uh, the process that God brought you through and changing how you were viewing adoption uh, mm-hmm. into something that was just a maybe a last resort into, into something that would actually be valuable to pursue uh, in, its own, in its own right. And you write in your book uh, that adoption is not just about couples who want children or who want more children. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, what I meant was that what I was not uh, seeing through the whole process was that my attitude toward adoption was revealing some assumptions that had everything to do with how I was viewing the gospel. So uh, I had, I had, uh, of course, was very familiar with Romans 8, uh, for instance, um, and the, the spirit of adoption. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until several years later, I was going back through some, some things and came across uh, the sermon that I had given at the church the night I was licensed to ministry, which in in my tradition, is sort of the first step uh, in ordination, and it was on uh, it was on Romans uh, eight twelve through twenty three on on the doctrine of adoption. So, and I, I just kind of laughed out loud when I saw that uh, because I had completely forgotten it. I was really familiar with all of that, but what I wasn't seeing was that I still had this sense of uh, the flesh as being real and the uh, and adoption as being good but not quite real which is of course exactly the issue that's going on uh, in the early church uh, with the Jew Gentile division and with the questions over circumcision and everything else and I just wasn't able to apply that very well to myself and it wasn't until 
we were in the adoption process, but we were encountering people who were saying things like, um, well, are, are these two boys, are they brothers? Or have you ever seen their, their real parents? Or um, uh, things like that, that I would just, I would just kind of think under my breath, you just don't get what's going on here. Hmm. Yes, they're brothers. Yes, we're, we're their parents now. Yes, all the, you, you, don't, you don't see. And I realized, well, I really can't be angry at the people who are asking these questions. First of all, their intentions were not bad at all. But secondly, the mindset that I was, um, that I was upset about was the very same mi- mindset that I had had <laughs> just a, a very short time before that. And that was when I started to realize, oh, wait a minute, Um, the the way that I was thinking here actually was applying to a lot of other things in my life in terms of how I saw the gospel and how I saw the church and how church family and so forth. Yeah. And what were some of the other types of questions that you, you did receive and maybe even continue to receive when someone first learns that your two sons are adopted? Well, I mean, we, we would receive, um, the, the early, early on, the biggest one was that, uh, are they brothers question. And, and the reason that that affected me so deeply is because there seemed to be uh, a subtext under that question that said, well, if they're, if they're biologically brothers, then at least they have each other. It was almost like reassuring to people, uh, if that, if that had been the case. And, um, in my mind, what that continued to do was to make them still orphans in one sense, just orphans who are being better taken care of. Uh, and and uh, what I want to say is, no, they, they actually have a real family situation here with each other, with us, with our larger uh, family, uh, even apart from that question of whether or not they might share some, some DNA. That was one that happened uh, a lot. Uh, there was a lot of, um, uh, there are still sometimes uh, questions that will come up where people will say, now, which ones are the adopted children and which ones are the, you know, the regular ones? Uh, and that's, that's a distinction in my mind that is important in terms of their stories, in terms of how they came into the, the family. But it's not a, an ongoing present differentiation between the adopted children and the real children or whatever you, you want to call them. It, it, it just explains the backstory for them. So we later uh, had three more sons, the more typical way. And uh, one of the things that um, my fourth son, Jonah, just celebrated his 12th birthday, and he was born almost a month early. Uh, you know, that's part of his story. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not embarrassed about that. I don't mind if anybody knows, but I'm never going to say this is our premature son, Jonah. Hmm. And then here are our, our regular, uh, children, the others. Um, no, he's not my premature son. He's my son. He he was premature. Uh, but, but that doesn't define who he is. Hmm. And I think that's what's going on in Romans eight and, and elsewhere where that adoption metaphor is being used, adopted doesn't refer to uh, some different sort of category uh, for people within the household of God. It tells you how you came into the household of God. But once you're there, 
You are genuinely children of God, Romans 8, and uh, you are genuinely joint heirs with Christ and with the, the people of God. That's, that's what, so I, th- I think sometimes when people read uh, Romans 8 and they're reading it, understanding rightly that, that a lot of, of what's happening in Romans has to do with, with Jew-Gentile uh, issues within the early church. Sometimes they just assume, well, the adopted children of God are the Gentiles, and the, the Jewish Christians there are the sort of natural-born uh, children of God. But that's not what Paul does. Paul does talk about the adoption, bringing in the nations into the family of God, but he says the same thing about the Jewish Christians. Theirs is the adoption because, of course, uh, Abraham was not a, a natural-born child. Abraham was a Gentile who was uh, adopted into the family of God from the very beginning. And so we're all coming to God uh, through, through adoption, and that doesn't, uh, that doesn't differentiate where we stand with him. Hmm. And so sometimes you'll even see that within the church, there will be people who will, uh, who will be glad uh, to be Christians, they'll be glad to be part of the church, but they'll think, well, because I came to faith later in life, or because I came to faith out of a lot of uh, patterns of sin, or because I just don't know the Bible the way that people around me do, or sort of the, the church lingo, then that means that I'm, I'm still going to heaven, but I'm a different sort of child of God. No, that's, that's not at all uh, what the New Testament teaches. A lot of people are obviously pro-adoption, but there are some who maybe have reservations about certain types of adoption. And I'm curious how you would see the gospel coming to bear and informing a Christian perspective on these things. So, for example, international adoption, I think some people can be fairly critical of the process and, and maybe even argue that it perpetuates notions of Western superiority or paternalism, or perhaps there's transracial adoption where some would argue that uh, it removes minority children from their own cultures and their own communities. Uh, how should Christians think about these difficult, complicated issues as they consider adoption for themselves? Well, one of the things that's, uh, that's um, amazing to me is that sometimes there are people who, in their zeal to oppose, say, international adoption, uh, would rather a situation where children in Russia, for instance— are uh, kept in institutions and orphanages uh, until they age out into a life typically of substance abuse or suicide uh, and, and cultural uh, marginalization uh, in, their, in their own communities because they're in a place, as in many places in the world, where there simply is not a strong adoption culture uh, if, if there is an adoption culture at all. And the same thing would be true in terms of, of people who would rather, uh, who would rather um, see uh, families being ethnically the same than they would to see children being brought out of, uh, brought out of a situation in which they have no father or mother. What, what we have to do is to say, okay, are there some uh, forms of adoption uh, that have serious problems with them? Yes, uh, that's one of the reasons why we have uh, we have great deal of attention given in international agreements and and, and everything else to uh, making sure that you're dealing with 
um, situations where there's no trafficking, there's no coercion, there, there's, there's nothing uh, along those lines. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the answer to that is to say that we shouldn't have adoption. What we need to say is, okay, uh, what is, uh, what is the, the, what is the ideal? And the ideal is for every child uh, to grow up, be welcomed into his or her uh, intact biological family. And so everywhere that we can work to make sure that that's the case and to keep families together or to, or to work in uh, temporary situations to, to get that to where that can happen. But where that can't happen, uh, then our priority ought to be to see to it that children have uh, a mother and a father. And so that means that you're, you're, it's, it's kind of similar to people who would say, well, I don't really, um, I don't really want to give uh, money uh, toward uh, starving children because really what should be happening are parents who are Genesis 3 bringing bread from the ground through the labor of their, their hands to provide for their children. Well, yes, uh, ideally we would want uh, every child to be in a situation where that child has parents who are able to provide for that child. But uh, many children aren't. Uh, millions of children aren't around the world. And so the answer is not let them starve. Uh, the answer is to say, uh, okay, let's feed people who need food uh, in order to live. And then as we're doing that, say, well, why is this happening? As, as you think about couples who are in the process of adoption or who are considering adoption, seriously considering it, um, obviously, as you attest to in your book, there can be so many fears and unknowns that can be very stressful and hard to work through. And I think one of those, one of the dominant ones could be related to family, extended family, uh, maybe not accepting the adoption, whether it's because of just the fact that it's not a biological child or because of racial issues or concerns, mm -hmm. because of medical history or conditions. There's so many factors that can cause uh, prospective couples to worry about how their families might react. What encouragement or advice would you offer a couple who's maybe right now dealing with that kind of a concern? Well, the, the first thing I would say before I get to that is to say that God is not calling all uh, Christians or all people to adopt. And so I spend as much of my time uh, sort of talking people out of adoption as I do uh, calling on them to consider it, because uh, all Christians are called, James one twenty seven to care for widows and orphans in their distress. But we're, we're not all called to care for them in the exact same way. And so if, if you are uh, moving toward adoption or foster care or a respite care, any number of, of options that are here. What I would say is count the cost of that, which, which means go into this eyes open. Now, you're not going to know what all the particular uh, challenges and issues are going to be that you're going to, to have. We certainly didn't. But you need to have a... Um, you need to have a realistic view uh, of the fact that in every situation you're dealing with some sort of trauma. And so there are going to be difficulties that are going to come along with that. 
And you need to, both of you, be ready to say, we're ready to deal with this. And we know this is going to be uh, a, 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 from now until we die, sort of uh, situation. So I, I mean, I, I was, I think, early on thinking, well, the children are infants, and so we adopt them. And then there's going to be some point in the process where they're going to kind of catch up and everything is going to then be exactly the same as if they had been uh, biologically uh, birthed and we won't even have to think about any particular challenges related to adoption from that point on. And there, there came a point where I realized, you know, I was actually saying more than I knew when I said adopted for life, because this is for life. This doesn't end at 18. <laughs> this, this is for life. Uh, so I would I would say that first of all. But if you have people who are uh, who are in the process and they have extended family members who are, uh, we had that we had some extended family members who didn't say anything negative, but just who were very unenthusiastic um, about the whole process in a way that was really hurtful. Sometimes you're going to have uh, extended family uh, who are much much worse than that. There may be, it may reveal some uh, racism. It may reveal uh, any number of things going on in the life of, of that family. What I would say is two things. One of them is uh, be patient and show charity in every uh, way that you can. Uh, recognizing and knowing sometimes we've been through a whole process uh, of sort of uh, coming to, to see what God is doing, what God's calling us to, and what uh, this looks like. And we've been through a whole long process, but we expect the people around us to immediately go through all of that the minute that we tell them what's going on. And that's not fair. Uh, so show some, some charity there. But at the end of the day, uh, you're going to have some people uh, who have said, I've had many people who have said that they've had extended family members who've said, well, because your child is of a different ethnicity than the rest of the family, we're not going to be able to accept that child. Or because the child has uh, a disability, we're not going to accept that child. Well, at that point, what you have to say is, uh, we're, a, we're a family. Uh, and this child has come into our family. This child is part of our family. We want you uh, to be a part of this child's life. But if you're not able to accept our child, then you're not able to accept us uh, either. We go together. You, you, can't, uh, you can't separate us out from one another. Now, what I have seen is that in almost every case, uh, those sort of reluctant uh, extended family members have had a dramatic change of heart when they've actually encountered uh, this this child, because the child is no longer some abstract decision that you're making that they don't, they may or may not approve of. The, the child then becomes a person uh, that they're encountering. And so I've seen many of those situations where you, you, have, uh, you have a couple just really uh, upset about some horrible things being said to them that uh, later on, those grandparents or aunts or uncles or whoever it is are the most enthusiastic uh, <laughs> uh, people loving that child and the life of that child. 
um, in a way that, you know, the, the child himself or herself would never know that there was any reluctance there. Receive that as one of God's blessings and don't constantly uh, relitigate it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. I want to take a step back uh, from the context of the individual couple or family uh, from the church and even just look more broadly at uh, evangelicals uh, today. Evangelicals are often quite vocal about our opposition to abortion, and, mm-hmm. and we argue strongly that the lives of the of children in the womb matter and are valuable. And you yourself have, have been a very vocal uh, figure on this front. How do you see adoption fitting into our conversation about abortion as Christians? Well, I think one of the things that tends to happen is, uh, is that sometimes um, uh, people who are, uh, are uncomfortable uh, with our views on abortion uh, will say, well, you Christians, you care all about uh, children when they're unborn, but you don't care anything about them when they're born. As one, uh, as one person put it years ago, uh, these, these people think that, pro-life people think that life begins at conception and ends at birth. And that's, uh, that's really an unfair caricature uh, because of, of what actually is happening uh, at the grassroots uh, level in caring for uh, children in, in all sorts of, of situations by uh, Christians, uh, deep, deeply convictional Christians. But it's also true that some of these same people that will say, well, you don't care anything about, uh, about uh, children uh, after they're born, then we'll turn around and say, why are you all adopting all of these children? Uh, you're, you're just trying to evangelize them into being uh, Christians. That's, that's somehow subversive. Well, you can't. <laughs> you, can, you can choose one of those critiques, but you really can't choose uh, both of them. What I would say is once you uh, have an understanding, however you get to that understanding, once you have an understanding that human value is, is not predicated upon usefulness or power, but that human value is bound up in the image of God and that the most vulnerable among us are deeply loved by God and are uh, in Christ future rulers of the universe, joint heirs with Christ language, um, then that changes the way that you see people. That changes the way that you see unborn people. Uh, just, just because someone is not viable to, to live on his or her own outside of the womb, doesn't mean that that person is just an extension of somebody else. None of us are viable. Uh, we, we, we all are uh, dependent upon food and water and any number of other things in order to survive. Uh, and that means that you then see, uh, you see uh, people who everyone else will want to, uh, or the people around you often will want to keep invisible, the poor, the refugees, uh, immigrant communities, uh, women who have been uh, trafficked, uh, all sorts of, of people, the elderly, uh, those who those who have uh, cognitive uh, disabilities and physical disabilities. You start to see these people not as sort of, sort of uh, objects of charity, uh, but you see those as people we actually need. Uh, we, we don't just love them, although we do love them, but we need them. And they actually are a blessing to our lives. And so sometimes you will have people, um, they encounter this uh, first 
when they're dealing with uh, working with, say, the disabled or with the poor or with the elderly. And then they, they learn to uh, appreciate that as it applies to the unborn as well. And sometimes it's the reverse. People start to see, well, what's happening uh, to the unborn and why is it that I'm, I'm, it, it, there's sort of a chill in the air uh, when I speak about them? Well, it's because there's people who think they're inconvenient. Who are the people in my life uh, that I consider to be inconvenient? Mm-hmm. And, and how, can I, how can I do this? So I almost want to say, find out in your congregation, who are the people that if you bring them up, people are going to tense up. And that's the very group of people that you need to be emphasizing the most. Hmm. So uh, I will have, uh, some, one time I had two pastors uh, who came up to me one after the other. And the first came up and said, you know, I'm in a congregation where I can get up and talk about abortion all day long because my people are politically pro-life. And so they, they'll amen that. But if I talk about ministering to a refugee community uh, in our in our town, they they tense up. Well, that's that's a congregation that has been politically formed, but needs to be better uh, formed in terms of seeing human beings as human beings. A few minutes later, another pastor came up and said, "I pastor a church plant uh, in a, a very urban, uh, secular uh, city, and the people in my congregation are." really happy when I talk about caring for the poor, when I talk about racial justice, when I talk about sex trafficking. But if I talk about uh, the unborn, they tense up. They don't want to talk about that because they think that's somehow right wing uh, to talk about. it. Well, in both of those cases, you you have uh, exactly in front of you what, uh, what what ought to be part of your mission, which is to say, who are the people we don't want to see Who's, who's lying here on the road next to us, beaten up? Let's not pass by that person. Uh, let's instead uh, extend dignity and mercy uh, to that person, however uh, that person's value lines up in terms of the culture around us. Hmm. Dr. Moore, thank you so much for taking the time to not only share a little bit about your own story, your own journey to adoption, uh, but also just wisdom that you've gleaned over the years Uh, working with other people, other churches and pastors and families as they walk this road. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. That was Russell Moore discussing the importance of adoption for all Christians. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Adopted for Life, The Priority of Adoption for Christian Families and Churches, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to The Crossway Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review, and then click on the link in the show notes to enter to win a copy of Dr. Moore's book. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel through publishing gospel-centered, Bible-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.